Grace, mercy, and peace from our Creator and our Lord Jesus Christ and our Sustainer, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So tomorrow, I go to the family doctor for my annual physical, and I'm preparing for the normal discussion that my doctor and I usually have at this time. Well, Pastor Schrader, it looks like you've gained a little, little weight. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, I, I'm tempted to say, well, you don't look as young as you used to. And he will tell me to stay away from sweets and trans fats and lemon desaturated fats. You know, the sweets are really not the issue. I, I can stay away from most of those unless it's Missy's pecan pie or any pie that my mom makes because she makes real crust and that's just, oh my gosh, it's great. Yet pies are like limited to holidays and, and birthdays. My weekly or daily temptation are the salty crispness of the perfectly prepared potato chip at the end of the day while I watch my favorite show or sports team on TV or fries. Oh my gosh. You know, the fries at, um, well, when you get to the fish and chips over at Nine Irish Brothers, those are the things that get me in trouble. And these temptations are all around us. And it's not just food. There are many different temptations. We are submerged in the societal temptation of being something that we can't. Or wanting something that we really don't need. We are tempted continually to believe that there is one right way and one wrong way of thinking and living. And in hearing our scripture today, the temptation for us, or maybe just me, but hopefully you can see that the temptation regarding the gospel and our first reading from Genesis is if I can only be like Jesus and not the first humans. One can easily conclude that because these two readings are placed together, they reveal how we should strive for perfection when it comes to temptation. Now, Genesis, the Genesis reading shows us how not to deal with the temptation of the devil, and the gospel shows us how we should be strong enough to deal with the evil one. We are tempted to think that if we only had the courage to stand up to and vanquish the tempter, then our lives would be better. Dare I say, perfect. We know human perfectibility is impossible. So going into this Lent, into this Lenten season, rather than looking at these two stories as how-to instructions on dealing with temptation, I would like to suggest our first reading is portraying how we find ourselves in our human condition and how our gospel is describing the gift of a sinless Savior that God provides as we find ourselves in our human condition. So regardless of how you choose to understand the creation story and how it's told in the first two chapters of Genesis, there are certain items I believe we can all agree upon. God made everything. God loves us and all creation. God wanted humans and all creation to be safe and well cared for. And good and evil already exist prior to anyone eating any fruit. And I say this because God said 
And the Lord God commanded the, the human, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Because there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good and evil must have existed prior. I mean, how could there be knowledge of something that didn't exist? Now, the important thing to note in this Genesis passage, after the first humans interacted with the serpent, ate the fruit, they then had the knowledge of good and evil. So the serpent tells them, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of, of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here's the scene, if you can imagine it. One human takes the food, takes a bite. The serpent's correct. She doesn't keel over dead. The next human takes the food and doesn't die either. Mm, good enough. They're not dead. But now they have the knowledge of good and evil. And here's the situation with that knowledge. It's like any knowledge. I mean, one can know something and have knowledge about it, but not hold the wisdom to fully understand it. So early humans knew the sky was blue, but they were not wise enough to understand why. I know that when we place a seed in the ground, it'll grow into a plant, but I don't fully understand how germination works. The first humans, after eating from the tree of knowledge, knew good and evil, but didn't under, fully understand as God does. And it's just like the serpent or the tempter to not give the whole story or the consequences to our actions. The serpent says that when they eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the eyes of both were opened with the knowledge, that's when they realized they were naked and they sewed the fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So commentator Julia Clausens says this, the man and woman who were in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, oblivious to their nakedness. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, find themselves hiding from God because they are ashamed of their nakedness. The moment they, they ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they realized something of their profound sense of vulnerability that is associated with the human condition. However, this shame also brings a sense of distrust between God and humans, as well as humans among one another. This scene of shame is related to the failure of these individuals to accept that they are made in the image and likeness of God. This is the human condition we find ourselves in. We know good and evil, yet we lack the wisdom of God and how to deal with it. This brings upon shame and guilt, humi humiliation and blame. The following is a poem written by Melissa Schroeder, Schrader, <laughs> titled Enough, that describes the shame I think we carry due to knowing 
good and evil. It starts out, am I enough? Am I smart enough? Pretty enough? Wise enough? Tough enough? Strong enough? Gentle enough? Kind enough? Am I enough? Would people like me if they knew who I really am? Do I know who I really am? Who decides what is enough? Would I really be human, vulnerable, intimate, and open if I were smart enough, pretty enough, wise enough, tough enough, strong enough, gentle enough, kind enough? Who would really like me then? Would anyone want to be close enough to me if I were enough? What is the answer? And the rest of the poem I'll finish a little bit later. But this is where we are in our humanity. Knowing good and evil, having all these questions, we're lacking the true wisdom. Therefore, we're always looking for the elusive perfectibility. But here's true wisdom. God's true wisdom is knowledge that leads to life. This is what we are told in our gospel lesson from Matthew. God's wisdom contains the knowledge that leads to life. God so loved the world that God gave God's only son to save the world and to bring salvation. In order to bring salvation, Jesus had to refuse sin. And again, this for us, that the temptation is to say, if, if only, we, we, we only, if we could only, we only need to reject evil, the evil one. We only need to do that just as Jesus did. But come on. We all know we can't. We can't refuse our favorite food, let alone real temptation. And we tease ourselves thinking that we can to be like Jesus in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and then rejecting the opportunity to eat loaves of bread. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't try to be more like Jesus in loving God and ourselves and our neighbors, but instead of trying to understand today's gospel as a litmus test as to how perfect we should be, let us understand this text as God's gift to us as we find ourselves in our human condition. Now last week I said the transfiguration of Jesus was the exclamation point directed at Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. As God said, this is my son, the beloved, with him I am well pleased, listen to him, exclamation point. They, the inner circle, needed to hear this for their journey into Jerusalem. Jesus' trip into the wilderness and Matthew's gospel is what we need to witness for our journey into Lent and in the end for our salvation. So the following is taken from our Lenten resource, Bless the Lent We Actually Have by Kate Bowler. At its core, the vain labor of perfectionism is an attempt to manage our pain, our shame, and fear. The temptation of perfectionism 
is similar to the temptation that Jesus encountered in the desert. If you never want to feel pain, turn this stone into bread, and so your body never feels broken. If you never want to experience shame, then control the world with political power, because that always works for the politicians. If you never want to experience fear, then call upon the angels to wrap you up in bubble wrap and stay as far away from the edge as possible. All you have to do is manage all risk and control everyone and everything in the world. Easy, right? Yet the illusion of perfection is so tempting. After all, the tempter essentially tells Jesus, you deserve better than the hand that God has dealt you. Wandering alone, hungry, powerless in the wilderness. When we are stuck in lives we didn't pick, stuck in bodies that break for no reason that we can easily concern or discern, stuck with grief we can't move past, we begin to believe that if we just try a little harder, then things will be better. But Lent is the season of repentance. It's a chance to acknowledge our limitations, our humanity, our failures, our sins, and recognizing our utter dependence on God for every breath. Matthew's gospel story of Jesus' temptation is not an example for us to follow. We, we can't. But it is an example of God's perfect, tenacious love reaching out to bring humanity back into full relationship with God. Each time Jesus is tempted to think of himself over others, he chooses to follow God's wisdom and God's righteousness. Self-preservation is not Jesus' mission. The church might learn from that example. Sharing God's love is the mission. Jesus was, is, without sin. We know that good and evil are in the world and the wages of sin is death. Even though the first humans did not die immediately as they ate of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would experience pain and shame and death as a result of sin. So God provides the way. God provides perfect love and wisdom that leads to life. Jesus would not sell himself into sin. Each time the tempter starts to set a trap for God's son, Jesus shows he is beyond the grip of sin. God's righteousness frees him from temptation. And this is the good news, the salvific promise, the gift that God delivers. That even though Jesus is crucified and murdered because he was without sin, he would, rise, he would rise on the third day and bring salvation with him. God knows our weaknesses and loves them, loves us in spite of them. Now to finish that poem. In my weakness, I am enough. My weakness feels, touches, and sees your weakness. If I let it, it will connect us in real and deep ways. I need not fear my weakness or your weakness. 
It is what makes us real, open, and honest. I need to fear perfectionism that drives a wedge between reality, myself, and others. My weakness is the door that others can walk through to my heart. My weakness is where God meets me, where God meets you. This is where we find ourselves, on the journey of Lent. We will be reminded of our pain, our shame, and our fear. But the wisdom of God leads to life, even life from a cross, life from a tomb, a tomb that will become empty. God's wisdom is shown in unconditional love and in a Savior that knew no sin. Thanks be to God. Amen.